0: AM 11:70 The answer
1: The Andrea K show is sponsored by Andrea K
0: Welcome to the Andrea K show She's blonde, 5'2 and 102 pounds of dynamite in a dress
2: Here she is Andrea Kay.
3: Cuz I'm t-
2: well, I'm neither 5'2". I'm not blonde and I'm not Andrea Kay. This is Tom Del Beccaro sitting in tonight for Andrea K. She's out there visiting. I've been on the show, of course, and on The Answer many, many times over the last, uh, I think, 15 years. Thanks for spending some time with us tonight. Tom Del Bacaro, politicalvanguard.com. You could go there and catch up on my writings or on Facebook. Uh, a couple of quick comments. You've been listening the last hour about the latest uh, on the whole FBI thing. I think the big story today that came out was the text that said in no uncertain terms after 10 months uh, that they didn't have any evidence of collusion. So that was six months ago, four months ago, which tells me, of course, that or, or a lot longer than that that they should have stopped at that point. But they're just going to go on because when a special counsel can't find an underlying crime, he has to justify his existence, and Robert Mueller wants to make liars out of people and claim obstruction, but a president can't obstruct, as Alan Dershowitz has told us many times, cannot obstruct when he's exercising his proper constitutional authority. So this is just a... Continuing Witch Hunt, Robert Mueller needs to go now. But that's not why I came on tonight to talk about that. I came on tonight because I want to talk tax cuts, economics, and the Trump boom with one of my good friends, one of my favorite economists in the world. I don't know if you're allowed to have a favorite economist in the world. There are actually four really important economists, in my view, in America. They're Art Laffer. They are Steve Forbes. They are Larry Kudlow and my friend, Stephen Moore. Stephen, how are you?
4: Hey, thanks very much for that very nice introduction. I'm doing great. I mean, the economy is doing great. I thought Trump was awesome Uh, in uh, Switzerland, at Davos. uh, Really uh, gave a spanking to those uh, Europeans and the intellectual elite, uh, talking about how his policies were actually leading to one of the great growth spurts in America. and, And I just lapped it up.
2: Yeah, it it was great. Folks, I'm not done speaking well of of uh Steve Moore. He uh, I think it was Politico two years ago said or three said he was really the most sought after economist for all the Republicans running for president. And when I ran for US Senate two years ago, he was kind enough uh to be uh my economist. Steve, I wanted to talk you about hey, a, a Tom, couple we,
4: Tom, we just we just need to move you to another state where you can yeah, work. There you <laughs> go. No, <laughs> That but too tough
2: is answer, one word. You, yeah. <laughs> Other people would say it was too, it's too crazy. Steve, I want to talk to you about a couple of things, because you and I over the years uh, have talked about how uh, business people, economists, politicians foul up economics. And these tax cuts are proving that economics actually really isn't that difficult. John Adams said that we have to teach the children all children continuously, and I, what I think I mean he means by that is that every generation you have to teach the values and give them an understanding and I think that 's none more true than with tax reform. We have tax reform every so often, and in between they screw it up, and then they make ridiculous arguments right so one to me and, and I want you to address this one ridiculous argument about tax cuts that they make. Is that they don't... Oh, tax cuts don't change human behavior. People won't do things when you lower rates. And I think to myself, these people don't understand or don't accept the the most... One of the most basic economic laws is that the more something costs, the less of it you get. And I know you and I agree on this, but if you talk about it, doesn't that law, the, as costs rise, you get less, apply to income jobs and businesses
4: well of course it does and you know what you just described isn't just economics it's human nature i mean, you know it's like uh you know if something costs less you're gonna buy more of it if, it costs, if something costs more you're gonna buy less of it and, and these are uh, patterns that we've known you know for the, from the beginning of time when uh human beings started exchanging with each other so um you know, Trump gets this. Um he cut the tax rates because he said this is going to get more investment, more workers, more co- uh, you know com- companies bringing uh, jobs back to the United States. And of course, day after day after day, that's exactly what has happened. And the only surprise to me is that liberals are so surprised that it's working.
2: well, is it a surprise, or were they scared to death it was going to work and therefore help Trump too much politically?
4: Uh, I think they drink their own Kool-Aid. I think they really believe that taxes don't matter. By the way, they really know tax. Why do they want to tax cigarettes, right? Why do they want to uh, tax sugary drinks and soda pop and and things like that? Because they know if you tax it, people will use less of it. So, you know, if you think taxing cigarettes will mean that people will smoke less, why wouldn't you believe that if you tax work, people will work less?
2: You know, it's so funny you say that. I uh, when I was chairman of the California. I have Rep- written
4: that. I think I got that from you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There
2: you go. Because I did. It was on the radio arguing this point, and the guy said, "Well, because I was against the cigarette taxes, it was going to create another boondoggle uh, uh administrative uh state arm in California." And he said, "Well, at least he'll admit they'll smoke less." And I said, "Okay, well, at least you'll admit then you get less income when you raise income taxes." I want to go to one of the, the my. The funniest things i 've ever say
4: to that? did he did he admit the
2: point? <laughs> no, he was just dead silence. okay, I need to go to one of the one of my the funniest thing i 've ever watched you do, and it wasn 't meant to be funny was you were debating Krugman now Krugman uh who 's the guy the dallas owner uh, uh who claimed all these people said outright. That the market's going to collapse if Trump gets elected mm-hmm. and there's right. no way back. What, why, why are they – if the basic law of economics is we're about to make it easier to have a job, easier to make money, why would they go out on the limb and make it such a ridiculous prediction?
4: Well, I think what's going on in this country, and you're out there in California, so you probably see it firsthand every day. I'm in the belly of the the Beast in Washington, so I see it a lot, too, is there is an anti-Trump derangement syndrome that... Uh, You know, there are a lot of Americans on the left who are just against anything that Trump is for. And if he is for it, it becomes toxic. And and it's the reason why a lot of these polls were showing, you know, only 40 percent of Americans favored the tax cut. Well, you know, if you called it the Trump tax cut, they were against it. If you called it the Bernie Sanders tax cut, a lot of these people would have been for it. So uh, what's happening now is that the left kept lying to people about the tax cut and saying, Oh, actually, a lot of Americans actually thought... Half of Americans thought that this tax bill was going to raise their taxes. Did you know that, Tom? Because the media kept saying it. And, of course, I helped write the bill. I know the facts. I know that bill intimately. Ninety percent of Americans actually get a tax cut, not a tax increase in that bill. And so what's happening now... Is that you know people are actually seeing the reality of it, right? They're seeing these companies bringing back all this money. They're going to start in the next couple of weeks, starting to see their paychecks bigger because guess what? They get a pay, uh, you know, when you when you cut people's taxes, income taxes, you adjust the uh, withholding, and that means people will get you know, depending on your income, maybe another fifty, hundred dollars every paycheck. So I think you, you know these you can only sustain these lies for so long, and. And I think that's what happened. People, these liberals who hate Trump and will do anything to try to destroy him, just basically lied about the facts.
2: Yeah, no question. This is Tom Delbacarl filling in for Andrea Cape for you tonight with my favorite economists, or one of them at least. Sorry, Steve. I, I, I still love Forbes. I still love Laffer. I still love <laughs> who doesn't? Kudlow. And I way, got Stephen Steve. Moore. Yeah. OK, so uh, uh, another thing, let's progress down a, a little bit here. Be- because they, we had the worst presidential performance on economic growth. And in 2008, I was on actually this radio station and others predicting that if we elect Obama, and you remember the economy in 2008 in the summer was starting to soften up and and perform poorly before it went on to have really hit the rocks with the breakup of some of those big banks or at least their collapse. I said we'd have poor economic performance if obama got elected because all he was going to do was raise taxes and raise regulations now we have this jumping economy because trump came in and said we're going to lighten the load does the the amazing amount of good stuff going on does that even surprise you
4: it does. Yeah. I mean, look, I was I helped write this tax plan with Trump two years ago with my buddy, Larry Kudlow. Uh, and we, you know, told Trump we thought it would really help the economy and we thought it would bring a lot of this capital back and so on. But I didn't expect it to happen in one month. <laughs> you know, and, and,
2: and Steve, do you Steve, do you have any memory of companies jumping out in front of each other to announce how much they're giving their employees?
4: never I mean I've never seen it and the thing that's so interesting is you might think well this is all these companies who like Trump are trying to give them credit and you know look so some of this is a PR gimmick it's it, it is true it's a good PR for these companies to say they're going to give their employees a, uh, a bump in wa- uh, wages or giving them bonuses that's a that's a good thing to do to build goodwill with your customers and your workers so there's an element of that but what's interesting is some of these companies like Apple you know Apple's one of the big ones that's bringing back 300 billion dollars you know, Tim Cook, uh, the CEO, doesn't even like Trump. <laughs> yeah. So he had to begr- he had to begrudgingly admit when he was asked by the press, "Are you doing this because of the Trump tax cut?" He said, "Well, yeah, duh. Of course we are."
2: So, Steve, I, I'm running out of time already, and I knew this would happen. I need your prediction. What do you think the growth rate is in 2018? I think it's going to be very close to four percent for the whole year. What do you think?
4: I'm predicting three and a half. So you're a little bit higher than me, but. You know, if I, I, you're not, you're not far from that. I mean, look, I wouldn't be surprised if we get four because the economy right now is just, you know, firing on all cylinders, and we got the uh, immediate expensing provisions for the businesses that are out there spending. So, you know, let's say somewhere between three and a half and four percent, and boy, would that feel good. You know, in eight years, Obama never came anywhere near three percent. We're talking about potentially four percent for this year.
2: Steve, thanks for coming on. Steve told me that 1% increase in growth over a decade means a trillion in new federal revenues. Yep. Oh, Steven three trillion. Yeah, three trillion. Stephen Moore, yeah. awesome economist. Thanks so much for sharing time with me. This is Tom Del Bacaro on 1170
1: The Answer. Yeah. Be sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show and follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K. Kay, spelled K-A-Y-E.
5: The number one myth with a reverse mortgage is that you can't keep your home. Hi, I'm Michelle Cole, and I'm here to tell you that is absolutely false. You can keep and stay in the home you love with better cash flow and maintain the lifestyle of your choice.
6: If you don't have an estate plan, then the state not you will determine what happens to everything you've worked so hard to provide for your family. Hi, this is Tax and Estate Planning Attorney Rod Hatley. I know this not only because of my professional experience, but also having survived a seven-year probate after my father passed away. With the average home in California valued at $1.5 million, that equates to 66000 dollars in probate fees. The value in having an estate plan is avoiding conservatorship if you become mentally incapacitated and probate when you pass on. Call me for a free consultation at 858
1: At Peterson Dean,
0: our hearts go out to those affected by the recent natural disasters. There's no question we'll continue to see events like this and that power outages will continue to occur as a result. The good news is that with our cutting-edge energy storage battery, you have security and peace of mind that your home maintains power and connectivity even when the grid goes down. Plus, the battery provides even more cost savings by storing the energy during the day and then deploying power intuitively at night. You beat the high time-of-use utility rates and have backup power in case of a disaster. All this month, buy any 12-panel or more solar system from Peterson Dean, and with your good credit, add an LG storage battery for only $29.99 per month use Available federal and state incentives. That's right, the battery is less than 30 bucks a month when purchased with a new Peterson Dean solar system. Just call 888 857 7998. 888 857 7998. That's 888 857 7998. CSLB 468117. 117. AM 1170,
1: The Answer. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The San Answer.
6: Francisco.
2: How are you, everyone? This is Tom Del Beccaro, up sitting in for Andrea K. I I live just east of San Francisco, so I guess that's why we're getting that that background. So, I have uh, a great topic, I think, to talk to you about for the next several minutes here, and that is Bitcoin. I know a lot of people are, have a great interest in it. It's sort of a mysterious thing, cryptocurrency and all all the rest, but what is it really? And, uh, I have a, a, a good friend of mine on the line who quite frankly is one of the world's leading experts on Bitcoin, how it started, where it is, what the allure is, what it really means. Uh, his name is Jeffrey Wernick. Jeffrey, how are you? I'm
7: very well. Thank you.
2: And. Uh I I met I don't know how long ago and I've been talking to him uh, really ever since about this. Uh Jeffrey's a bit of a genius. I think one of the youngest PhDs out of the Chicago School of Economics uh ever and one of the foremost authorities on bitcoins. Bitcoin. So I I appreciate you coming on. I know a lot of listeners hear about Bitcoin and they hear the word cryptocurrency and, and you know Crypto. That sounds mysterious. So, could you? Can we just start out a little bit? What exactly is cryptocurrency, and where did it come from?
7: Well, a lot. I think we first need to start with Bitcoin because it all started with Bitcoin. And there also has to be an understanding between Bitcoin and a lot of the other quote currencies or cryptocurrencies that have evolved. Um, the the origins of uh, Bitcoin uh, began with a, a, a publication of a paper by uh, Satoshi Nakatoma, uh and uh, uh, in two thousand eight uh, where he designed what was called a peer-to-peer exchange. Um, i think <clears throat> I think the origins of why the paper was released in two thousand and eight because it' had been uh, previously efforts to develop, develop uh, what's called digital cash. Um, I think the first one was DigiCash in 2000, in, in, in um, in 1999, more or less. Uh, and the whole concept was that during 2008 was when we experienced the, uh, financial crisis and an understanding that at that point in time the whole financial system was fragile, not only in the U.S., but everywhere. Uh, people not, might not recall that in the beginning of the crisis, uh, the spread of bank bank funding costs rose dramatically um, and the government had to for a period of over a year actually guarantee the deposit liabilities of not only other banks but several other non bank institutions that were considered uh, systemically important, such as some insurance companies and even GE which had a big financial division at that point in time. So, and then we began the great experimentation with quantitative easing. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, also, they began to get talk about the fact that maybe because there was such an expansion of balance sheets, that there could be no longer maybe bailouts of and uh, but bail-ins. Like, Example example, what we have in Cyprus, uh, and actually in the European Union, uh, there's a requirement of a bail-in model, and what that means is that basically, the next time there's a financial crisis, instead of the government providing money to provide liquidity to the banking system, there'll actually be a possible hit to the depositors of the banks, and they might have restrictions in what how much deposits they can uh, access, and they might actually absorb losses. Uh, okay, so Je- Jeffrey, you're,
2: I think you're talking a little close to the phone, so it makes it hard to hear. Um, What I am gathering, though, is that the instability in world financial markets led some people to want an alternative instead of putting all of their money, cash, however you want to describe it, in the hands of governments, which were mucking up the system to begin with. Is that about right?
7: Right. right. And if we think about what happened in 2008, it was not just a distrust of, you know, the banking system was the whole entire ecosystem in the sense of the banking system, deposit insurance, lender of last resort, the rating agencies. So basically, it was like a breakdown of the sense of who can you and who can you not trust. So then okay. building a, a building that a peer-to-peer network uh, was a way of basically saying, how can we design a platform? where basically trust is embedded in the design of the platform.
2: Okay, so yeah, that, that's an important point here. Because I, I was just going to sarcastically ask you, who's in charge of the Bitcoin system? And your answer is... No one. Yes, because, it, and we've talked over the years, the American, the Federal Reserve, the American government, governments all over the world manip- manipulate, even Trump talks about, manipulate the value of their currency for what they think are either political or economic reasons. How is Bitcoin different in that regard?
7: Because nobody's in charge, and nobody controls, uh, quote, the printing press. Uh, The the concept of what people refer to as Bitcoin mining is basically what you need is you need um, a series of computers all trying to solve algorithms. And it needs to be multiple computers solving an algorithm, and that what's called proof of work. So it's like a consensus is created about the proof of every single Bitcoin. And that's why it doesn't originate from one computer. It originates from, a, from a multiple computers acting independently but simultaneously. So all these, all these computers out there are, are, are trying to solve algorithms. And as they solve algorithms, uh, and they successfully solve algorithms, and there's a consensus about it, and that basically says, basically, Bitcoin, you could say, kind of evolves out of that process. Okay, um, so and, uh, when
2: uh, when did you first buy Bitcoin?
7: Uh, when, when they first were open to being bought in 2009.
2: Okay, in 2009. And what was it trading uh, for in 2009?
7: Uh, it, in 2009, it ranged from under, I think it went as low as about uh, $0.35, cents, $0.37. Cents, uh, and maybe that year it went as high as about six or eight dollars. Um, actually, up until about 2011, uh, I think it, I think it basically traded from uh, you know under a dollar to maybe fifteen or twenty dollars over the first uh, three years of of its existence.
2: Okay, and so what's it trading for today, roughly?
7: Uh, today it's about eleven thousand.
2: Okay, so what caused the jump? From you, you described several years of, you know, relatively stable and low prices, correct? And now it is skyrocketed by comparison. What cha- what caused that change?
7: Well, actually, you know, at the time when, uh, when Trump got elected uh, in November um, and uh, 2016, uh, at that point in time, Bitcoin was trading in, at around 600%. Uh, so we've just had a tremendous jump just in the past year. Uh, prior to that, it had gone, it had gone from like 12, 20, 12, 15, it went up to a few hundred. Uh, I think in 2013, uh, it actually did about 1200, brings it back to 200, and since it turned it about to 200, it's slowly risen, and this year it kind of exploded. Um, and, uh, and I think the simplest explanation is just a significant increase in adoption. So, a, a, a significant, significant increase
2: in adoption, are people interested in it? Sort of a supply and demand thing has driven up the the price.
7: Yes, it's a, you know the, the supply is limited, so it's that adoption has grown dramatically. A lot more people have wanted to hold bitcoins, and so the universe of bitcoin uh, holders has, has grown dramatically. And while it's still growing dramatically, it's still a very, very small percentage of, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, I think, I think there are maybe like 30 million Bitcoin wallets out there. Which doesn't mean, which doesn't mean that there are 30 million Bitcoin holders because people can hold multiple wallets. So, you know, adoption is still, you know, is still small and still growing. There have been periods of time where recently the coin base was the most downloaded app in the uh, in the app, in the uh, Apple uh, App Store. So okay, so uh, uh, we got we got a we,
2: we got just a, a couple thirty seconds left. Where do you see Bitcoin over the next five to ten years?
7: Uh, I see Bitcoin in the next five to ten years somewhere between uh, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and one million dollars.
2: And, and why? Is it just, again, uh, greater adoption? Or does the more that governments screw up and go bankrupt make an alternative? Is that a reason for adoption, that un- continued uncertainty and bad government performance will drive up interest?
7: Both. I think there'll be, amongst the, especially amongst the millennials, there'll be a growing adoption. Uh, and in general, yes, I think the fact that we have a credit-based, leveraged, vulnerable uh, economic system globally, I think ultimately uh, being able to unwind the amount of leverage that exists globally uh, will not occur without a debasing of all currencies. And so uh, I've told people for years, if you want to look for a hard currency and a good store of value, um, the first place to look is Bitcoin, the second place to look is, the, uh, is gold, and the third place is fiat money. Which is basically money that's backed by nothing, other than you know the expectation that you can trust the institutions that print it.
2: All right, I want to thank Jeffrey. Thanks so much for coming on and explaining some of the basics. Next time around, I'm on. I'd like to have you back and dig a little deeper into Bitcoin, which is a phenomenon to say the least. Because this is a worldwide thing. This is not any one place. And I think it reflects a lack of confidence in a lot of governments around the world. Jeffrey, thank you very much for coming on. Folks, this is Tom Del Beccaro subbing for Andrea Kay. I believe she's in New York. And we'll be back after these messages.
0: From heaven. She'll be Don't you know each cloud contains from Want
1: more, Andrea, Kay? Want Andrea K? Follow her on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And like
6: her Facebook page at Andrea K. Kay, spelled K-A-Y-E.
0: Shop the annual Winter White Sale at Everett Stuns.
3: Known for the world's finest beds, bedding, and bath products, you'll find Italian linen, Egyptian cotton, and luxury down and silk pillows at great prices at Everett Stuns.
0: And right now, you can save up to 40% on Yves Delorme Bed and Bath at the Winter White Sale. Includes all the beautiful French bed linens and down from their exclusive collections.
3: Or refresh your bed and save 20% on all other fine European linens and down store-wide. Including pillows, duvets, cashmere throws, allergy control covers, and more. Save 20% even on custom orders.
0: Visit the beautiful Everett Stun Showplace on Girard next to Harry's Coffee Shop in La Jolla.
3: Or take advantage of these same winter white sale prices when you shop online at EverettStuns.com.
0: Everett Stuns is the only destination where one visit is worth thousands of luxurious nights.
3: Hurry in for the annual winter white sale going on now for a limited time only.
1: AM eleven seventy. The Answer, San Diego. You're listening to the Andrea K. Show on AM eleven seventy. The Answer. Good evening, everybody. Thanks so much for
2: joining. My name is Tom Del Beccaro. I'm on the Andrea K. Show now and again. Of course, I've been on 1170 Answer over the last decade. Uh, thanks so much for joining in. So far, we've had a great show, Stephen Moore, talking about the big economic pickup and, and, and the mistakes of the left or maybe their derangement syndrome and why they don't believe you know how to make money if you keep it. My last guest was Bitcoin genius Jeffrey Wernick, who uh, just got back actually from Davos, where he debated some, uh, uh, who's he telling me, he debated uh, three international bankers who couldn't defend the existing system, and, and most agreed that Bitcoin is a phenomenon worldwide that, that still has a long way to go, and and it demonstrates people's... Not only the power of the Internet to create an international community away from government, but people's skepticism of government. Let's face it. If people thought government was really working, they wouldn't have such a concern on creating a different system away from government that government can't screw up. Speaking of government screwing up, I have one of my favorite – not only friends, but people who who see things clearly. You know, California, and again, this is Tom Del Beccaro substituting for Andrea Kay. California has immense riches. It's it's You can make the argument that it's one of, as a piece of land per square mile, it has as much riches as anywhere in the world, whether it's natural resources, uh, it's people, it's the The coastline, its ability to, you know, its ports to trade with the world. Yet California has 30% of Americans in poverty or on welfare and only 17% of the population. Now, how do they do that? Well, of course, it's bad government policies, in my view. You can't be sitting on riches and have people poor unless the government's screwing it up to a certain degree because there isn't a dynamic enough economy for the unemployed or farmers in the Central Valley to be employing enough people to get people to work. Now, how does this happen in California? In my view, it happens because the major media does not cover poverty in America, in California. I mean, if California is number one in poverty, shouldn't they be talking about it? Shouldn't they be concerned about it? They're not. Why? because they support the Democrat establishment in this state. And so it's very difficult, very difficult to find people willing to talk about it and to critique the government clearly. But one of the best in the whole state is Katie Grimes. Katie writes for Political Vanguard. She writes for the Canadian Free Press, Flash Report, a lot of places. One of the best, Katie Grimes. Katie, how are you tonight? Hi, Tom. I'm well, thank you. So, folks, Katie endured Jerry Brown's State of the State last night. I I must admit I only read it. What was amazing to me, Katie, I told you this earlier today, I think it's amazing that you had a sitting governor giving a State of the State, and at the same time or on the same day they're holding a gubernatorial debate and all the headlines in the morning overshadowed Jerry Brown. So, it's Jerry, you're not even gone, but we're kicking you out the door.
8: This was an amazing uh, state of the state. And all I can say is, thank God, it's the last one we have to hear from Jerry Brown. Uh, although I don't hold out much hope that the next one's going to be any better. But all that said, you know, everything you just said a second ago, California is this amazing state. We're sitting on these these natural resources. And yet we've got the highest poverty in the country. One third of the nation's welfare lives right here in California. It just keeps bringing up one word, Tom, Venezuela. Everything (laughs) our politicians are doing has already been done in Venezuela. And look where they are right now.
2: Yeah, basically, you know, Venezuela should arguably be one of the richest places in the world because it's sitting. Yeah, it was a. Yeah. Sitting on arguably uh, per capita per square mile as much oil as any place. And yet now they can't find. Uh, toilet paper, which I think is would really be the final straw. Oh, I can't. I you, yeah, am I allowed yeah. to use straws in California? I can't. Uh, what happened? No,
8: you are not. You will be fined and jailed for six months, Tom, should you okay. give somebody a straw without them asking for it.
2: Now we're referring to a law where they want to try and outlaw the use of plastic straws in restaurants, and they want to fine waiters because... Katie, I don't know if you're aware of this. The reason Western civilization is falling is because of our waiter class.
7: Yes,
8: it must be. Okay, Surely so... it must be. But I, I agree with you, Tom, that it was amazing that this the, the governor of California gave this <laughs> this trite, uh, just cliched state-of-the-state state speech yesterday and never once addressed the permanent poverty class we have in this state frankly, that he created, going all the way back to 1975 when he was first governor, to today, the same for the policies he set up back between 1975 and 1983, and then when he came back, 2011, have gotten us to this horrific place. We are going to be a state, Tom, in, in no time that has these weird overpasses again that are, you know, like, ah! uh, I remember, yeah, remember uh, that. It was
2: Highway 101. When I, it was in, when I was in college, I went... Uh, we would drive down, uh, I live in the Bay Area, we'd drive down and you go to San Jose 101. And didn't they make it on the cover of a Kansas album, this this overpass, yeah. with, where, where, overpass to nowhere. You know, yes. Katie, as someone who gives speeches, I'm just mortified and hurt that you would say his speech was cliched. Were you referring to the fact that he immediately says, as English poet John Donne said almost 400 years ago, (laughs) no man is an island?
8: Yeah. However, if you
2: you make the island bad enough, you can banish people to sides of it. Okay. So what I look, I look at the state of the States as well. And California is, I'm going to go John Edwards on you. A, a tale of two cities, you know, yeah. in truth, um, Plato talked about uh, two Greeces in effect. And what they were saying okay. is there's a, a dynamic part of the economy and a non-dynamic part of the economy. And, and talk a little to me about, because, I, because you are in the media, you do cover these things like the looming pension crisis or some of these crazy things, other things that they're doing. There really is two Californias because The the, the L.A. San Francisco crowd runs the state. They're doing well. That's where the media is. What about the Central Valley? What about up north? Aren't they, you know, these movements to break up the state, the state of Jefferson, the new California? How do you deal with it being in the media and watching this?
8: Well, listen, I get it. I get why this, you know, why these groups are pushing for this. You know, what's interesting is California could be the most classic example of the importance of the electoral college, Tom, because we are a living example of the most densely populated areas of our state deciding all of the political policy for us. And yet the 11 counties in the most northern part of the state have one state senator. So they're not deciding anything. And it, it makes sense why you have these groups. State of Jefferson or New California or even the Six States Initiative or any of these wanting to, you know, pull apart and get some some representation.
2: And I get it. I wrote a a book called The Divided Era. This is Tom Del Mm Bacaro talking with Katie Grimes, substituting for Andrea Kay tonight, talking about we talking about the state of the state in this in this break or or this segment. I want to stick with Jerry Brown. What do you see Jerry Brown's legacy this time around, and what does he actually do this year, if anything?
8: Well, his legacy is not looking good, and I have chronicled this in in many, many articles. um, And my most recent articles, uh, I have a series going, How California (laughs) Democrats Have Turned the Golden State Into an S-Hole.
5: No, you
2: didn't say that
8: online, did you? S-Hole. Just as whole is all I said, uh, parts one, two, and three, and there is more to come because this is... There's Jerry's more than three legacy. holes,
2: th- three parts of this? of this. Yeah. All yes. All right. F- for Jerry,
8: there are. But his legacy is going to be this staggering poverty, this two Californias. Jerry is as tongue-deaf as any radical political elitist as the world has seen, short of, uh, you know, horrific uh, crimes against humanity, Um, he he lives in a bubble and he is completely tone deaf. He never answers questions about poverty when he rarely gets one. Uh, He ignores the staggering trillion dollar public pension debt that is completely unfunded and it's going to collapse. That will be his legacy. But he doesn't give a hoot because he will be dead. He doesn't care. And that is the sad part. It is truly sad that the man does not care about his
2: legacy. And, and what interests me is, if he was a good son, wouldn't he care about his dad's legacy as well? And it, and, and, no. and isn't he living? Isn't he leaving the water crisis to another time? Oh, sure
8: he is. Look, I, I think actually he's he's a classic uh, a Freudian textbook case. Uh, he and his dad. His dad actually built stuff. Jer- Jerry tore stuff down. Jerry refused to finish the state's highway infrastructure. And he's the one that left those overpasses to nowhere. He's the one that put the kibosh on finishing I-5. So we've got, you know, two lanes on I- the interstate, you know, highway. No, Jerry is he, like most leftists. He tears things down. His dad, an old school Democrat, built things.
2: Yeah, I re- remember when the Democrats were, wanted full employment. They actually wanted people to have jobs. Yes, they did I not. I remember that too. And they came up with the idea, I think it was Truman, with the True em- Full Employment Act. This is Tom mm-hmm. Del Beccaro. I'm on Katie Grimes. We're going to head to a commercial, but we're in this next segment taking us to the end of the show. I want to talk to Katie about what's ahead in 2018 in California. Tom Del Beccaro, 1170, the answer.
6: If you don't have an estate plan, then the state not you will determine what happens to everything you've worked so hard to provide for your family. Hi, this is Tax and Estate Planning Attorney Rod Hatley. I know this not only because of my professional experience, but also having survived a seven-year probate after my father passed away. With the average home in California valued at $1.5 million, that equates to 66000 dollars in probate fees. The value in having an estate plan is avoiding conservatorship if you become mentally incapacitated and probate when you pass on. Call me for a free consultation at 858
9: Have you been struggling with trying to figure out the confusing Medicare system? Worried that you might make a mistake or the current Medicare plan you do have may not be right for you? Well, due to the recent wildfires in San Diego County, Medicare open enrollment has now been extended to March 31st, 2018. Make today the day you call to have your Medicare plan reviewed by a professional Bridlewood agent for free. Bridlewood specializes in Medicare insurance and has helped thousands just like you with their Medicare insurance options. Bridlewood is again named San Diego's best insurance provider by the readers of the Union Tribune. Bridlewood's friendly and knowledgeable agents specialize in Medicare insurance and will take the time to help you with your Medicare and prescription drug options. Call Bridalwood today at 858-753-1920 and we'll include a copy of the five biggest mistakes made by Medicare beneficiaries for free. 858-753-1920. That's 858-753-1920. Or find us online at bridlewoodinsurance.com.
0: One at San salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Hey Dave, you missed yesterday's meeting. You said you'd be there. True, Mr. Employee of the Month, but yesterday was opposite day. So when I said I was going, I actually meant I wasn't. Wait, wait, opposite day? So everything you said yesterday had the opposite meaning? Right. So, wait, when you told me you didn't have pink eyes... I actually have a raging case of it. And when you said you finished
9: the Q3 reports... Haven't
0: even started them. Oh, well then, that must mean that when you were asking for a raise, you were really asking for a pay cut. Touché, Mr. Employee of the Month. Touché. <laughs> if you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the National Job Boards. They may be free, but trust us, they'll cost you. But if you want Employees of the Month, go where smart local job seekers find good local jobs. Help diego.com Local jobs that work.
6: We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. AM 1170, The Answer.
1: You're listening to The Andrea K. Show on AM 1170, The Answer. Good evening, everyone. This is Tom Dobocaro
2: from politicalvanguard.com or author of The Divided Era. Go to Amazon if you like and get that. And I'm on with one of my favorites, Katie Grimes, who writes for, among other things, politicalvanguard.com. You know, Katie, uh, you have a book as well. And it's interesting being my book about the divided era is how divided America is, and, and in some ways, how it leads to not only fighting but stagnation. California is not divided in the legislature to the same degree because it's basically a one party state. And one of the things they do is have an attorney general that leads the country in suing Donald Trump. Why don't you tell people the name of your book and and a little bit about how Mr. Becerra has taken on Trump? (laughs)
8: Uh, It's almost a bad joke now. Yes, uh, our Attorney General, Javier Becerra, features prominently in my book, co-authored with uh, Jim Lacey, California's War Against Donald Trump, Who Wins, Who Loses? And in our book, uh, we address Governor Jerry Brown's defiance and all the Democrats we name in it, our state Democrats uh, against the Trump administration and of course, you know, most evidence with Jerry Brown's preoccupation with illegal aliens over citizens, sanctuary cities and California as a sanctuary state. Uh, and we go all of into all of it. The economy, you name it, it's uh, but it really really clearly and only 126 pages outlines this very, very clear war against the president and, frankly, the rest of America.
2: And, and so part of that, in, in looking at your book, and uh, why don't you say the title again, where people can get it?
8: It's California's War Against Donald Trump. Who Wins, Who Loses? It's available at Amazon and also on in Kindle and uh, Barnes and & Noble.
2: And so... Uh, let's think about this. This a one-party state here. The Democrats are almost unfettered. They fell below the two-thirds in the Assembly through uh, forced resignations, shall we say. We, di- we did an interview with you and Stephen Greenhut on politicalvanguard.com. You can check it out. Uh, it's on fa- my Facebook page as well. Some predictions for the year ahead, and one of those related to taxes. And I asked you and Stephen do you think there'll be tax increases? And and all three of us are kind of skeptical about whether they'll push that through in an election year where we were fearful about the initiative that would harm prop 13. And then before our voices were even done and the interview started on this, you get this new tax to take back half of the, of the Trump tax cut. So Why don't you tell people a little bit about that? And do you think that's going to happen this year?
8: This is just amazing. But, you know, I have been I've pretty consistently said that, yes, we are going to see more tax increases. But I think what we're going to see other than this brazen attempt that I'll explain in a second is more taxes pushed through on the local level. But they'll be done in violation of Proposition 218 as fees and, you know, disguised in other ways, and theirs are nothing more than pension taxes. This latest attempt is very, very interesting. Um, We've got two Assembly Democrats, very, very radical characters, who are proposing to extort the profits and tax savings from California businesses, making more than a million dollars net, not gross, net. Um, And really what they're trying to do is retrieve some of the, what they refer to as windfall from these businesses, which they will realize from the Donald Trump uh, tax reform savings. And this is nothing more than extortion. And in the article, I, you know, yo, hey, you like your business here in California? Be nice if you could keep it. You know, this is pretty ugly stuff.
2: It is ugly. And I, 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 there's nothing, or a few things that get me going more than calling it a windfall. If, yeah. uh, if it's my money and I get... right. And I get to keep it. It's not a windfall. It is, no, and it doesn't, it. and it doesn't cost the government anything to tax me less. It costs me less. So he, here they want a a. To, they say it's funny. Part of the Democrat Party says, um, "Well, we can't support tax cuts for the rich." And then yeah. Trump says, "Okay, we'll reduce." The state and local tax deduction, because that goes to the rich, the Democrats ran and said, "No, these are Californians. We have to uh, find sign and Leon and the rest we 've got to protect Californians, and then this comes along, and who is this to tax on? well <laughs> you know they they can 't help but fall over each other to get that uh, yeah. another Another part of the interview, um, and I know this is personal to you. And it and you wrote for political vanguard on the whole marijuana thing. Folks, um, there just was just south of the border. They pulled over and commandeered a a I think it's not even a van with 800 million in uh, heroin and Mm -hmm. fentanyl. Uh, They said it could kill up to a million people in America. There is this libertarian argument that that there shouldn't be a war on drugs. Where do you see the California and drugs in 2018?
8: This probably has me as worried as anything because you know, I mean, I certainly give some anecdotal evidence in our uh, in our discussion about it. But um, you know, the bottom line is legalizing these illegal drugs, any illegal drugs. Number one is a federal offense, and you know, if you don't like it, then change the federal law, but. But these drugs, you know, bringing more into our state and telling young people that it's okay to be stoned is doing no good. And, um, you know, I mean, we've got all these studies out showing that our young people do not have, uh, you know, the, the, the maturity until their, you know, what is their frontal lobe isn't fully mature until they're 24 or 25. Yes, but let's just keep them stoned in the meantime so that it never fully develops, which is what's been proven with marijuana i mean it's the 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 thc in it has long lasting effects and yet you just never read this stuff in the mainstream media because i think they want a fully stoned populace
2: you know katie we got we got to run in the net Uh, but i agree with you and and, you know this whole fentanyl thing you can die from a single dose there there isn't to me a credible libertarian argument on this folks this has been tom del i appreciate katie Mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming on I appreciate everyone listening tonight to me, allowing me to substitute for the great Andrea Kay. I hope you all have a great weekend. And who knows how many companies next week will say that the Trump tax cuts works. Thanks so much.
1: Andrea K show is sponsored by Andrea K